you're sitting down, grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some people coming around with one here. We are covering a lot of text today. So uh, you'll want to have a Bible on your lap to go through. And we're going to dig in here. We're in Acts. Uh, Acts is the continuation of the story from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a continuation of the gospel and what's happening. It's about God's people who have been given an assignment by God to be a people to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And uh, that's what's happening here. Um, God's people by God's power. It is a glorious, glorious thing when that's taking place. And we likewise, we're people who are called by God to be reaching out into our world, into our sphere of influence and the world beyond with the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, here's what I want to do. I want to work off of this picture today. Uh, it's kind of like a conference room, like a boardroom. And, and it's this idea like you're entering into this. And uh, really, that's what the fact is for all of us. We live before people. And God's placed us in places where we have the opportunity to enter in and to live out the name of Christ before them. And what we've been doing is learning from Acts here. Uh, I've been taking it from the angle of let's watch these guys. Remember in John, it's, it's like Peter and John and these others. It's like, bless their hearts. But these dudes just did not have their act together too well. And, and th now we're picking up and we're seeing after uh, the resurrection, just some stuff starting to happen. Acts chapter 1, we saw that God has a thing. And when we enter life and we were moving in life, we know that God has a thing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that's a thing to reach the world with the name of Christ. So God has a thing. Secondly, Acts chapter 2 is God's empowered us to do his thing. The Spirit of God comes and dwells on the believer permanently dwells on the believer empowering us equipping us to be able to do what god's asked us to do which is his thing so god has a thing uh he's empowered us to do his thing last week we talked about his thing is all about the name of christ it's all about the name and we began to see peter and john uh having the opportunity and uh today we're going to take a look in acts chapter four and actually i've extended it into five so we've got a lot of text and uh, we're going to go after it. But in Acts chapter 4, we're going to learn this. Three principles, three keys to being a people that are proclaiming the name. If God's given us a thing, if he's empowered us for the thing, if he's called us to proclaim the name of Christ, how do we do that? What are some traits? What are some things that need to be there happening in our lives to be able to do that? We're going to take a look uh, at our text to be able to see three things. And part of the reason for this is, I think here's the reality, friends. Let's just be straight up honest about it all. When we go through life uh, as a follower of Christ, I don't think very many of us would say, you know what? When it comes to bringing the vertical into my horizontal, when it comes to proclaiming the name of Christ to other people, you know what? God's really given me the great ability. Actually, that's really, I'm strong at that. Now, many of us, frankly, would probably say that. In fact, more of us are probably in the realm of, I'm not so great at that, just to be frank about it. True? Okay, I appreciate the half-hearted uh, behind thing. But isn't it true? It really is true. And we go through life, and it's like, man, I just wish I was so better at this. And I think today, as we take a look at this text, uh, as we're placed in front of people, we're going to learn how to better proclaim the name. And I don't mean here's like a four spiritual laws or here's the bridge illustration. I'm saying some foundations to what's going on with that. And in fact, uh, I'm going to say, I'm just going to tell you what they are all, all are right now. Number one, boldness. Number two, we need to be a people of togetherness. Number three, we need to be a people to fear the Lord. And uh, we're going to see that these people were. Before I go, let's pray. Lord, I just pray as we continue on from here that you would be the one who's front and center. This is so not about me. This is all about you. Lord, I just pray you'd grab our attention and we'd learn from these sweet people of the scriptures who literally like us, they're learning how to do what you've called us to do. Encourage us. Come alongside us. You've already empowered us and equipped us. Oh God, may we just embrace it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we begin Acts chapter four, let's remember the scene, Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three, uh, Peter and John, it's another day and they're going to the evening 
feast, the evening sacrifice. And right up there, I think in the middle there, some talk about where the beautiful gate is, but right at that place, Acts chapter 3, there was a lame man. Uh, he was lame from birth. He was sitting there. He was begging. They saw an opportunity. They acted on that opportunity. And by the name of Christ, they were able to heal this guy. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, that is so cool. And here they heal him, and then he's rejoicing in this. So they probably come out of that area, as we talked about last week, over into Solomon's portico, and all the people begin gathering around what's happening, and they're, like, jazzed up about what's going on. And Peter, in that situation, all he's like, look at this. There's, like, all these people around another opportunity. So he sees that opportunity, begins to proclaim the name of Christ. He proclaims the gospel. And at the end of chapter three, a number of people come to Christ. And also a number of people are annoyed. Okay, that's where we touched off of last week. Let's pick up chapter four. We started, we ended in the first five verses of chapter four last week. Verse one, and as they were speaking to the people, so this is while Peter was proclaiming the name of Christ at this time, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. Say annoyed. 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 Okay, now say it like you're annoyed. annoyed. <laughs> Excellent. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So it was all about the name of Christ. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Uh, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men in the church in Jerusalem was now how many? That's a lot. That's just the number of men. So now we have kind of the cumulative number of men. So let's say there's like 10, and, and plus the influence of parents on their kids. I don't know, maybe there's like, this is a, really in Jerusalem in this short amount of time. It's only been about two months since the resurrection of Christ. And the church is like 15,000 people. Sweet. I think God loves that. Uh, how cool is that that that's happening? Verse five, on the next day, and their rulers and elders and scribes uh, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family. Hey, do you remember these guys? Uh, if you're newer here, we had just gone through the gospel of John a little while ago and we, we met Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was the kind of the high priest guy in right around 4 AD time period or somewhere in that area. And then his son or his sons came into power after that. And this really became just a, uh, uh, just a, uh, a family reigning thing that was taking place. And, and really Annas was the guy who, although he was not technically the high priest, priest's son-in-law Caiaphas was now the high priest. He really was the ruling man. He was like a chief priest emeritus. And, and in this, these men had built uh, the system there in Jerusalem to where it was just a, a profiteering endeavor. We talked about all this, but this is only two months ago that these were the ones who called Christ to be crucified. Remember that? Just a little while ago with that? Two months ago. Let me ask you, what do you remember in your life two months ago? I'll just bring something up about two months, maybe a little longer now, is the Super Bowl. Remember that? The Super Bowl. I mean, that's not that long away, is it? It's kind of like, I remember going downtown and how fun that was. And I remember the blessing of global warming during that period of time and, and how warm it was. It wasn't it. It was just really, just there's a buzz around and everything going on with all of that. And, and it, that's about how far away this was. I bring all of that in because sometimes when we jump into Acts, we think the Gospels and the cross and the resurrection was like years away, and this is really separate. This is only like two months away, okay? So that's what's happening. So Annas and Caiaphas are, are have continuing to be very involved with that. So the, the rulers and the elders are there, and they gather together in Jerusalem, verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. In other words, in that day, it was literally kind of a semicircle table, that uh, the chief priests and the Sadducees and so forth would sit around. And it was out of the Old Testament. The thing that was supposed to happen was when, when a miracle happened, they would bring them before the high priest. And kind of in this semicircle reality, they would stand there and give the presentation of what took place. And in the Old Testament, God set that up on purpose so that if there was a miracle that took place that was deemed from the Lord, then everybody would be what? It's really not that hard. Everybody would be what? Happy. I mean, thrilled. See, I told you, it's not that hard. Okay, so in that, now, if they found out that this was not from the Lord, what would happen? 
<laughs> I'm like asking really bad questions for you, sorry. It's the type of thing where they would not be happy. And in fact, they would take the person or persons out and send them away or literally stone them to death. So what's happening right now is not unusual. It was the kind of thing that should happen. And so all that's taking place. But look at the question. So here they go, verse seven. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst, uh, the leaders inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Hey, that is so the right questions. And by the way, I will also answer it this way. By what power? Um, Acts chapter two, that power. The indwelling of the spirit of God has allowed this to take place. By the name of Christ. Oh, that's the second one. That was Acts chapter three when we talked about it. By what power, by what name are you doing this? So here they ask this question. Uh, please understand this is from last week. This is continuing on in the whole series from the blind, from the lame man, now to in Solomon's portico. Now they're brought before the chief priest. And so the chief priest softball him, slow pitch him the question. Guys, tell me, by what power and by what name did you do this? Peter's like, it doesn't get much easier than this. So what is Peter? He sees the opportunity and he acts upon this opportunity. Watch this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I would kind of say this as empowered for the task. Then Peter, empowered with the task by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that by that name, whom you crucified, whoops, there's real seeker sensitivity, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by that name, this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Home run, baby. I so appreciate Peter because again, when we were going through John, Peter just kept sticking his foot in his mouth again and again and again, bless his heart. And now look what happens after Acts chapter two. And God has empowered him. God has equipped him. And here he is just proclaiming the name. Verse four, there are 12. There's salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven. Um, question. Does the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob save you? Mm -mm. What about the names of Moses or David or the Apostle Paul? Do they redeem and bring forgiveness to a person? No. What about the name of the church? In other words, I go to church. I do church. You know, I, I go every so often. And, and so what, what do you base your salvation upon? Uh, I go to church. Is that? No. What about the name of Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius? Does that name save someone? It doesn't. How about the name of science? Knowledge. Mm -mm. Oh, here's a big one in our uh, pluralistic world today. How about in the name of coexisting? You know, we just, hey, whatever you want to believe is really awesome for you because we're all headed to the same path. You know, I'm just going to tell you honestly, I would love it if that were the case. I would love that. I mean, I want everybody to be able to have eternity with the Lord. But when you come to a verse like verse 12 in chapter 4 of Acts, maybe if you're at a place where that's something that you kind of embrace that idea that, you know, they're all the same, that, that, that they all are headed to the same place. They're all worshiping the same God. You come to a verse like chapter 4 verse 12 in the Bible and you come to a place where that whole thinking falls apart in an instant because the Bible says 
There is no other name. No, the whole coexist idea, it doesn't work that way. The Bible's outside of that idea. And if you're thinking that, then I would call you to to wrestle that through because you can see it here. The Bible says that it doesn't go along with that. I want to encourage you to intellectually consider and think through that. Here's maybe a last one. How about your good name? Well, God, I, uh, I'm, I think I'm better than 50% of the people on the planet. I mean, I do try and be good. I mean, who doesn't fail by your name? If you were to stand before God today and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, let me ask the question this way. What would your life have shown to be what you were all about? What would your life have shown to be the answer to that question? The scriptures come in and it says this, listen, our lives are to be all about the name of Jesus Christ, period. It is about the name of Christ that his person is redeemed. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? If you don't, ask. We'd love just to be able to come alongside you and show you what the Bible says about that. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4, 12, salvation, no one else, no other name under heaven. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, and then at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Well, we've already seen boldness showing up here. Let's keep reading in chapter four. Let's pick up verse 13 now. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is really important. Let me just pause for a second, then we'll do some more reading real more quickly through. They saw boldness. Sometimes when we think of boldness, we just, we think of internal boldness. You know, I just, the Greek word has this idea of great confidence. It's just a solid foundation on something, and we think internally. But I would ask you to under, look at the text. What the text is pointing to is the people around the table are looking at the one in the center, Uh, Peter, John, and they're looking at them and they're going, hey, look at them. We see boldness. Boldness is something that's to be displayed. Boldness is not just an internal kind of confidence, hug myself kind of thing. Boldness is being talking here in the scriptures is the type of thing where it's to be shown out. It's, it's to be out on the table. Now, the question might come up is, so did Peter and John, were they like not nervous about this at all? I, I technically, I don't know, but I'm just going to they're, they're people. I mean, they're fishermen. They're normal people. I, I'm going to guess they probably had some sweaty palms. I'm going to guess that their heart was beating pretty quickly in this. But yet, even in the, the boldness came out. I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity that the Lord has come. And I think it very well could be. It's like, frankly, I'd rather go home and watch the TV. But right now, I'm right here in this setting. And it's like, God, here we go. And woo, it comes out. In all boldness, they saw the boldness. I just, I just so, oh, that's so special. And they perceived that they were uneducated common men. I like that because I, I feel like that's us. Not to be an insult, but to be a reality. That's just us, normal people. And they were astonished because of their boldness as normal people. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's a cool statement. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, uh, these leaders, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, "Uh, guys, uh, we're in a peck of trouble. Because what do we do? What should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. The truth is out on the table and was standing right before them. But look at verse 17. But I see the truth, but I don't want to call it truth. So here they go. Uh, But in order that it may be that... It may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter, John, we would ask that you no longer do this. Verse 19, but 
But Peter and John answered them, by the way, boldness is not rudeness. Boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is not disrespectful. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I mean, can't, you can't put a plug in my mouth, dude. You can do what you want. You can think what you want. But you can't plug my mouth. What else do I speak of? I just have to, these, these guys are like enraptured in this, aren't they? I mean, are you kidding me? Not speak? What's there to live for? I think in recent decades, the church as a whole, we've been coached to sugarcoat Jesus Christ. Um, I must earn your respect before I can communicate to you about the amazing truth of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, uh, let me convince you that I'm cool and not a dork before I can tell you about Jesus Christ. You know, I don't want you to think I'm one of those dorky Christians or one of those legalistic Christians, so I'll cuss a little, drink a little, you know, talk a little in ways that maybe whatever this or I'll engage in that because I just want for you guys to understand <laughs> I, I'm a follower of Christ. No, but please understand this. I'm a cool follower of Christ. And then after I convince you that I'm cool enough, then I'll be able to bring in the gospel alongside and kind of pull them out from underneath the table. Hey, I completely understand the relationship thing. And relationships are so important and we should be building relationships and we should be doing that. But I just want, as we're talking here in all of this, toss out the idea of how interesting it is that back in the day of Acts chapter four, the people at the time were trying to tell the church to shut up. And today we have to call us as the church to please speak up. Just straight up, I think I and we have lost some of our boldness in the capital C church. And here we look at Peter and John and I think this just encourages. Hey, Let's be bold. Let's be bold. What verse are we on? Where are we at? Thank you. <laughs> We're at verse 21, by the way. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Do you get that? No, guys, no, I'm telling you, you're supposed to shut up. If you don't, we're going to come after you even harder. And they kept coming back, and yet, uh, but they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Let's keep going, verse 23. And when they were released, when Peter and John were released, basically they're the only ones who know this setting, and they went to their friends. That's cool. You know, that's what we should be doing. You know, when things are coming up in life, big events take place or hard events take place. Where do we go? Where do you go? Go to your friends. Now, let's look at these kinds of friends. They went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, look at the, look at the class of these friends. These friends, they lifted their voices together to God and said, what we're about to read here in just a second is a prayer. So they come together and Peter and John tell their friends, tell their other believers of Christ, how many they are, I have no idea. It's just, there was a group of them and what's the first thing that they do in all of it as we see here? It's like, hey, let's take it vertical. You've just been threatened that if you don't clam it up, you're gonna be in trouble. And so let's take it vertical. Man, those are the kind of friends that we need. Friends that help us take our horizontal to the vertical. And they lifted their voices to God and said, here's a prayer, sovereign Lord. Oof, two words and already there's massive theology laid out. A huge view of God. And you got to understand these two words, sovereign Lord, the one who's in control of all things, including what's just been what we just heard about. Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, David, your servant said to the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together. This is still the prayer. There were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever their hand and your hand had predestined to take place. I'm just going to tell you, these guys have a real high view of the sovereignty of God. God is in control and moving all things to his plans. Verse 29. And now, Lord, in light of all this, look upon your threats and please remove the threats from their life. And Lord God, I would pray that you would make their life more comfortable, that it would be more successful and filled with greater ease, that, that they would have, uh, ha have happiness all their days and wealth all their days. And um, I don't know if you're looking at me or not, but that's not quite coming out of the text, is it? Uh, I just, I'm so stunned by the depth of these men, women, their friends who are praying here. Look what they pray for in the situation. And the situation is if you don't clam up, we're going to lock you up. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. The word literally could be translated slaves. There's, a, there's this mindset. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I'm just going to say there is not one word in here about God remove it. There's nothing wrong with praying that. But James chapter 1 carries this idea that we would be held up under, that we would work through it and not just escape out of it. God, please remove it. We see that in the Psalms. But here at this time, it's like these guys have this mindset. They have this view that, oh my goodness, this is an opportunity to be able to proclaim it. And oh God, just help us. Give us everything that we need right now. Empower us for this task. Verse 30, and while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs> That's in there somewhere in the Greek. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. How confirming. Um, you imagine if we prayed and all of a sudden this whole place was like, <laughs> one, we'd probably be running for the doors. It was an earthquake or something. But here in this, it's almost like, I think it's so sweet. It's almost like God answers back. I heard it. I heard you. And I just want to let you know, I'm shaking it all up. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered for that task. Because look, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All through this text here, we see this idea of proclaiming boldly. Let's be a people of boldness, not a people of brashness, not a people of rudeness, not a people of arrogance, but a people of confidence in the Lord. Boldness. If we're going to proclaim the name, we need to be a people of boldness. So maybe you're asking the question, Doug, I need to be more bold. Hey, I want to let you know the next two things here are going to help us with that as well. Oh, here's one more trait that goes along with these people and what's happening, togetherness togetherness. I must live in togetherness under, unto the Lord. In fact, before we read this, I kind of want to try and give an example of this for us all. Uh, boldness comes out of togetherness. Last Sunday, uh, we had talked about see opportunities and act on opportunities and with what happened with uh, Peter and John. And so I said, hey, if you have opportunities you see, would you just email me those? And, you know, it's all God's deal and, and done in humility. And, and I just got, these are just a few. It was a great week getting these. And uh, let me just read some of these to you. Oh, one person. On Sunday, last Sunday, uh, I jumped on an opportunity before getting out of the building because I needed to. 
Um, so I said hi to a couple, and she was grateful and impressed that I remembered her name and her husband. And they shared with me what was going on, uh, what had been doing, happening in their life. And I asked right there in the, in the hallway if I could pray with them and ask God to bless them and encourage them in their faith to carry out what God is doing in their lives. I remember four people last week in the middle of the entry area all huddled around praying. How sweet. Yeah, but everybody might walk around me and think I'm a dork. No, shake the ground, baby. That is cool. Love it. That just boldens me. I had a conversation with my boss about being whiny, about whininess. <laughs> let me rephrase it. About whininess and sickness that turned to talk about church. Try and figure that one out. Uh, we've had conversations about church before, and he likes to throw out things about God. He asked again what type of church I went to. So I explained how we don't belong to a specific denomination and quickly stated the gospel as the foundation of our beliefs and our faith as a church. Cool. I don't just go there, but let me tell you about what's about where I go. Here's another one, police officer. That kind of makes it uh, a little bit more narrow, doesn't it? Got a chance to buy food and gas for a homeless man who was traveling cross country today. And through that, share the gospel with them. Praise the Lord that in my line of work, the Lord allows many hurting and homeless to cross my path, allowing me to share Christ with them, usually through meeting physical needs. It's pretty amazing. I even get to share the gospel with people I arrest. <laughs> uh, by the Lord's strength and the Spirit's prompting to make me aware of the opportunity given, I invited a hurting woman from work to church and shared that church community and uh, how important that is, and, and more importantly, how Christ is a source of comfort during painful experiences. Who would have thought that a conversation that included talking about Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne, Iron Man, premature death, vanilla ice, and teenage mutant ninja turtles would have all come together and yielded an opportunity to talk about Christ? That's taking the horizontal to the vertical. I've been witnessing my neighbor over the past several years. She attends a church in an on-again, off-again way. She always likes to call and ask me questions about spiritual things or something their pastor spoke about. We were talking on the phone today, and she was telling me about the sermon she heard on Sunday. And as we were talking about some things in regard to what she was saying, I just felt like this prompting from the Spirit of God to do something, but I didn't know what to do. I had to hang up and take one of the kids off to school, and then I called her back when I got back and asked her if she would do a Bible study with me this summer, just her and me. I've actually been looking for the opportunity for some time, but every time I've tried to act upon it, she's declined. She said she'd never done a Bible study before this time, and she'd like to. Uh, this one's cool. I went to Marsh to get some food. And uh, I went to the deli while my wife went to get some other things. And while there, uh, this girl whom we've come to build a relationship with and is a Christian waited on me. We began to talk. During the conversation, I could tell she seemed burdened. I asked about her family, and she began telling me about her uncle who's in the hospital. And while she was telling me this, she started to tear up, and I asked her if I could pray for her and her family. And she said yes. So I stretched my arms out over the counter and she stretched her arms out over the other side of the counter. And so we held hands and prayed. Cool. After praying, we were both in tears, and a coworker was standing beside her with her arm around her. I didn't know she was there until we were done praying. After it, I noticed two customers with stunned look on their eyes, and they never said anything. I'll bet they were stunned. I really wanted last one. I really wanted to intentionally be obedient with my opportunities this week. And I just felt a, I felt a twinge in my heart for a girl at work. I made a point to catch her when she first walked in at work today, probably out of my fear of chickening out. And I asked her to lunch. I've had some pretty good conversations with her in the past, but I've never really been with her one-on-one -on -one to share my story. If there's one thing that the Lord's taught me, it's that he's always able to use my story. I let her know the Lord put her on my heart yesterday, and she had this look like, uh, uh-oh. I could tell she was nervous and curious at lunch, so I wasted no time. <laughs> Once we got in the car to let her know that the Lord wanted me to share my testimony with her. I'll bet that calmed her. <laughs> I was able to ask a few questions to get at her heart and see where she currently was with the Lord. She said she's found herself recently looking at her life and asking, what is she seeking? 
So I shared my testimony, along with a few verses of scripture. And she just looked at me and said, you have no idea how much I needed that. Yeah. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that? Hey, togetherness builds boldness. Just for me this week, hearing those stories, I'm just thinking more about what are opportunities around me that I could do that. Togetherness builds boldness. And one of the things we know about these people is they're a together people. Let's read these verses here. Verse 32 to 37. And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Isn't that cool? Power and grace. And there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet as it was distributed to each who had need. Hey, can I tell you, people like that who are just caring for one another for real, not just hobby friends, Man, I got to tell you, that's got to be a people who do life together. And by the way, verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, Acts talks a lot about Barnabas as time moves along here, which means sons of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I'll hold that thought here, but I just want to say this. If we're going to be a people of boldness, we have to be a people of togetherness. I just want for you to watch this video of one of our small groups uh, that talks about how uh, life together, just listen to how together has built them up to be the kind of people that God wants them to be. My name is Hans Stonehouse. And I'm Karen. And we have been small group facilitators for about four years now. And one of the things that has been such a blessing to me has been um, you can tell that, that people come prepared, they come ready to share, they come ready to, to challenge one another, whatever topic and subject we might be discussing. There's many different viewpoints that are often expressed. Um, and, and the glorifying and good part about it has been is that it's all scriptural, it's all biblical, and it's just been really interesting to, to have this close connection with other people within our small group. When we first started talking about small groups, when Harvest was first starting up, it was a little scary um, because I'd never been in anything like this before, and to hear about accountability, and it made me think I had to share all of my most secret things with, with people that I didn't even know, and it's nothing like that at all. Um, it's, just, it's just a really great, family feeling, time of accountability, and you want to share with these people because you know that they care about you and love you and you just want to help each other. I don't remember exactly when we officially started attending Harvest. I think it was sometime. That happens at every small group. <laughs> That's authentic. <laughs> so anyway, I think it was June of 2008 that we started attending Harvest. And we got the friendship register, and it has all these boxes that you can check. And Ben had it in his hands, and he was filling out our address and our phone number and our names. And then he checked interested in peak performance and interested in small groups and I just was floored because um, it was actually just really an answered prayer because we hadn't really been too involved in church since we had been married and um, you know, the sharing the uh, gospel in our lives as well uh, aspect um, that, that seemed like an unnecessary part of it to me at first um, that what mattered was the relationship with God and, you know, I could read my Bible at home and, and achieve the same um, um, level of spiritual growth. However, the accountability of, of knowing that when you meet that person that week and they ask you, hey, last week you said this was a problem for you or this is something you're working on or this was um, an area you, you had it for improvement or an area that, that um, you know, that God was really convicting you on. And knowing that that person's going to ask you that, and you're going to have to give an account for how that week went, and 
and hopefully be an honest account. And, and so know, knowing that's coming, it's, it's been an awesome way of, of truly uh, the iron sharpening iron justice that the, uh, the Gospels give us. So I guess one of the things I'd really like, uh, I've really liked about our small group uh, is the fact that we can be very intentional about uh, life on life with one another, uh, and it seems very, very real. Uh, Thessalonians, uh, Paul says, you know, he, he loved the Thessalonians so much that he desired to share not only the gospel of God uh, with them, but his life as well. And I think I can honestly say now, uh, we're in a small group uh, where that's a reality. If I had to pick one word to describe our small group, it would be genuine. Um, everybody really wants to be there. Everybody really wants to know what's going on in your life and how they can pray for you. Um, it's just cool to feel really, truly supported um, by everyone. And there's been several times that someone in the group is stopped by with dinner or a movie after a long night with a kiddo and has just kind of helped to um, just do life with us, like John said. And it's just been um, a really cool experience that we've been waiting a long time for. And we're so thankful to feel part of the body of Christ here at Harvest. I don't really know how to start it, though. That's what I was asking. Um, just start talking like you're talking to me. Only don't look at me with the camera. You said to look at you. Only when I'm talking. As new members coming into an already established small group, I had, being that I'm a quiet type, I had major concerns about are we going to be accepted into this already great established group? So you could tell. Great friendships. Um, they were close. They had shared a lot before. Um, and honestly, after our first meeting with the small group, I mean, we left here and everybody's arms were wide open and we were accepted. We felt like we were part of the group. Um, everybody leans on each other. When somebody's down, we're all there to pick, um, pick them up. And as I know I've been the one who's been picked up several times and it's just, it's, it's an unbelievable group of people and just a relationship to know that they're always there for you. This is the first small group I've ever been a part of. The women of the group took me under their wings in a big way. We love Hans and Carrie as our leaders. God has been using the men in this group now to come alongside me. I, I really believe that we've missed this for a long time. I so appreciate that last comment. In a world that's isolated, that we live apart from each other, Oftentimes, part of the reason that we lack boldness is because we've lacked togetherness. And we see in the traits, as we're taking a look at this, we see in the traits that one of the things about the folks in Acts chapter 4 is, one, they were bold people, and secondly, they were togetherness people, and lastly, as we kind of wrap things up here, uh, they were a fear of the Lord people. Uh, watch this trait that the Lord kind of brings to the table here. Um, by the way, you have to look at the last verse of chapter 4 again. Joseph, called Barnabas, a Levite, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's the setting. Chapter 5 is a terrible break point because the story continues. Because Ananias and Sapphira are built off of what was just said there. Here's a guy who goes and he sells some land and he gives it to the church to be able to help people. And then we're going to see a couple here who's like, you know what, I kind of want to look like that. I want to come across like that. This is called spiritual hypocrisy. I want to look spiritual as well. And look what the Lord does. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? It wasn't necessary that he had to give all of the proceeds of the land. The problem was that he told him that he was giving him all the proceeds. He was lying about it for the purpose of really looking spiritual. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Kawam. Heart attack? God just took it out? Hey, quick comment here, because I had some questions after the first service. I just want to make this. I believe that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And I believe that Ananias and Sapphira are with the Lord today. 
But I also believe that because of the lie that took place here, God decided in his sovereignty, oh yeah, sovereign Lord, remember the prayer, to take him out at this moment. By the way, you will see as God moves his administration with mankind over time, at the very beginning of each of these kind of how he works with people in his administration, he does significant kind of like bam points. Kind of like, do I have your attention now? And yet, ultimately, Ananias and Sapphira are going to be snuffed out of earthly lights. I think they are with the Lord in it. But yet, if there's a judgment, it's like, listen, I'm, I can't handle this. I've got to set a, uh, for my church. And so, bam. And so, out of this is a lesson for God's family at the start of a new administration, at the start of the church. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I would say, because, am I next? I'm not selling no property. <laughs> great fear all who heard of it and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him verse 7 after an interval of about three hours his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter said to her tell me whether you sold the land for so much and she said yes for so much but Peter said to her how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are out the door and they will carry you out and immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Um. If we're to be a people that proclaim the name, one of the traits that has to be a part of us is a people that fear the Lord. Two components to fearing the Lord. There's the wow component. The wow. God is so awesome. God is so marvelous, so huge that he would provide redemption, that he created all things. It's the woo, God, yeah thing. Wow, God, that's part of the fear of the Lord. Another part of the fear of the Lord is not just wow, but oh my. Oh my. God is God. To be a people that proclaim the Lord... We have to be a people that are like so jazzed up about the Lord. Like God is so awesome. And also there's a component of it where we have to go, listen, God who has redeemed me, he has told me he has a thing for me. He's equipped me for that thing. He's called me to proclaim the name of Christ. I need to get after it because he's the Lord. And, and I am a servant and I am to be the one who is to proclaim. And he's given that to me. And there should be a fear and a reverence of the Lord. And so here's my question as we kind of wrap things up is this. Do you and I fear people more or do we fear the Lord more? Do you fear man more or do you fear God more? Oh, how often, I'm just being transparent with you. How often the truth of the matter is I fear people more than I fear the Lord. What are they going to think of me? What are they going to do to me? Will this make my life more of a hassle? Instead of, God, you are so awesome. The fact that you would even ask me to be a part of proclaiming who you are is stunning. And Lord, I'm in. Because it's not about me. It's all about you. Let's pray. Hey, as we uh, just take a minute here to wrap up, I just want to ask practically, is there anything right now going on in your life, a relationship, a circumstance, where boldness and bringing Christ into it hasn't been happening? If so, as a brother in Christ, I want to encourage you, bring him into it now. What's something going on? Maybe it's in relationship with another person. Maybe it's at work or school. Maybe it's with your children. I have no idea. 
but let's just not talk about these things. Let's right now, where is an area in my life that I could bring this into? Lord, I'm so grateful that you have a thing and that you've empowered us to be part of that thing. And we know that that thing is all about proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, as I started out in the beginning, and I just admitted, we all know, most of us aren't very good at that. We miss opportunities of life that are right before us, that oftentimes we use the excuse of praying for opportunities instead of just taking advantage of the opportunities that are already there. Oh God, I pray that we'd be the kind of people that are bold and take them. Lord, I would pray as well in all this that we would be a together kind of people. Lord, boldness does not come out of aloneness. Boldness comes out of togetherness. We need each other. And we see these people in the early church here. They were empowered by you, and yet they were also together. And I love what Ben said in the video. Just the growth that's taken place by being around the kind of people that will iron sharpen iron each other. Lord, if we're lacking boldness, I would pray we would be considering maybe it's because we're lacking a reality of togetherness. And I need to initiate and go and establish some kind of relationships like we see in Acts chapter four that would help me take my horizontal reality to the vertical reality. And Lord, may we fear you more. May we revere you more. May we see you bigger than the people around us. May we be mesmerized by you and with our face to the ground because of you. Thank you so much for your patience with us. Thank you so much for your empowering of us. May we go for it as an act of worship for you. Boldly, together in the fear of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray.